Thanks for downloading this week's Game Day Radio podcast. Today I wrap up the race for the NRL and AFL finals and look at what's to come. The FFA Cup round of 16 plus who's playing who in the quarterfinals. World Cup qualifying in Europe and closer to home with the Socceroos plus the first college football segment of the season. I also go on a little bit of a rant about the FFA and PFA negotiations so enjoy that. Please leave an iTunes review. They are really, really, really helpful. Cheers. You're listening to Game Day Radio, only on Unicast. Time to talk about some NRL action now, and it was the final round of the regular season on the weekend. I'm not going to go through all the scores like usual, just the ones that mattered in the finals race. So the Melbourne Storm beat the Brisbane Broncos on Thursday night by 15 points to 8, with the Roosters thumping the South Sydney Rabbitohs on Friday night 30 nil. The North Queensland Cowboys smashed the Gold Coast Titans 42 points to 12, while Manly squeaked past the Cronulla Sharks with a 14 to 12 win. The Bulldogs beat the New Zealand Warriors 26-22 thanks to a very, very, very late try. And what all of this means is that the Roosters finished as minor premiers with Brisbane second, the Cowboys third, and the Storm in fourth. The Bulldogs finished fifth, the Sharks sixth, South took seventh place, and the Dragons round out the eight. Uh, as for the bottom of the table, the Newcastle Knights finished in last place uh, due to an inferior four and against to that of the West Tigers, who they were level with. There were also a couple of titles claimed in Canberra's win over Parramatta, with Eels winger Semi Radradra winning the NRL's top try scorer of the year with a double to take him to 24 for the season, which also breaks a 33-year-old club record for the most tries in a season. And the other record claimed in that game was Raiders centre Jared Croker claimed the point-scoring title for the 2015 season, edging out Roosters 5'8", James Maloney, Croker scored 236 points this season, 10 more than Maloney managed. So the final series gets underway on Friday with the Roosters hosting the Storm in the first qualifying final at Allianz Stadium in Sydney. Saturday night, we'll see two games take place with the Bulldogs taking on the Dragons at ANZ Stadium in the first elimination final, followed by the second qualifying final with the Broncos hosting the Cowboys at Suncorp. The second elimination final will be played on Sunday afternoon at Allianz Stadium where the Sharks take on the Broncos. Uh, I said at the start of the show I would give you a few predictions. So I'll take the the Roosters over the Storm. I'll take the Bulldogs over the Dragons. I think that should be fairly clear-cut. The Dragons have been woeful as we were talking about last week and they were pretty poor again on the weekend. Um, and then I'll take the Broncos over the Cowboys, although I think that one will be very close, and then the Sharks over the Rabbitohs, which uh, should give us an, an interesting second week of finals action in the NRL, but it's it's going to be very, very good fun this weekend to see uh, just who causes an upset, because there's almost always one upset in the finals, so we'll see who it will be this weekend. <laughs> jump quickly from Rugby League to Rugby Union now and with the Rugby World Cup getting underway in less than two weeks time. That's right, it's just around the corner. 
The uh, Wallabies, they took on the United States in a warm-up clash at Soldier Field in Chicago, which is home to the NFL's Chicago Bears. Great stadium, that one. And the Australians won fairly comfortably, 47-10. to That scoreline hiding a few of their issues, though, because the Wallabies were very, very poor, especially in the first half, with an error-riddled display that leaves plenty of questions hanging over the side. The uh, Wallabies begin their World Cup against Fiji in the early hours of September 24th Australian time. Of course, the tournament being held in England. The Fijians face the host England five days earlier in the tournament's opening game. So hopefully the uh, Wallabies will be fresh for that one and they can uh, get off to a good start against Fiji. But um, certainly a few things for uh, Coach Michael Checker to get cleaned up before the tournament kicks off for Australia. You're listening to Game Day Radio, only on Unicast. So we've done the NRL finals race and how that how that's shaping up, how the uh, finals are going to be played out heading into this weekend. So now it's time to jump over and do the AFL and the regular season for the AFL also concluded this weekend. And once again, I'll just run you through the most important scores and skip out the uh, the crappy teams at the bottom because who cares about them? Uh, Richmond beat North Melbourne 108 to 67. Adelaide lost to Geelong uh, 80 points to 119. Brisbane upset the Western Bulldogs by eight points, which uh, not many saw coming. And then minor premiers Fremantle lost heavily against Port Adelaide. Hawthorne beat Carlton comfortably. The Swans cruised past the Suns and West Coast thumped St Kilda by almost 100. What all of that means is that Fremantle finished top, but we already knew that coming into the round. West Coast takes second, Hawthorne third, and Sydney round out the top four. In the bottom half of the eight, Richmond finished fifth, the Bulldogs sixth, the Crows in seventh, and North Melbourne take the final, final spot. West Coast forward Josh Kennedy has claimed the Coleman Medal awarded to the most prolific goal kicker during the regular season. He's the first Eagles player to win the award since Scott Cummings in 1999. Kennedy's total of 75 goals was the highest figure since 2010. The finals get underway on Friday night with West Coast facing Hawthorne excuse me, in Perth with Fremantle hosting the Swans on Saturday afternoon. Saturday night sees the Bulldogs versus the Crows at the MCG with Richmond and North also at the G on Sunday afternoon. So should be a, another good weekend of footy. Lots of NRL, lots of AFL to uh, get stuck into. So it should uh, should be a fantastic weekend of sport. You're listening to Game Day Radio, Sports Talk Radio on Unicast. Okay, time for some FFA Cup action. And last Wednesday night, we had the second lot of matches from the FFA Cup round of 16 take place with three away sides progressing on the night. Victorian Victorian side Hume City were the only hosts to advance as they beat Sydney Olympic 3-1 with fellow MPL Victoria representatives Oakley, Cannon going through, uh, Oakley Cannons going through after a 1-0 win over Adelaide's Metro Stars following a mistake from veteran keeper Dan Godley in what was ultimately his final game for the club. So not a good way to go out for him. But uh, yeah, I think... 
Oakley uh, deserved their win on the night. They they probably just shaded it. Probably could have had a couple of other goals as well. So, uh, but then again, Metro Stars could have scored. It was a it was a very good game, even despite the one nil scoreline. There was plenty of action, uh, and both A League cl- clubs also qualified for the quarterfinals with Western Sydney two nil winners over Palm Beach Sharks. While it was a little less comfortable for Melbourne Victory, who prevailed over Rockdale City Suns by three goals to two. Good to see that that wasn't a repeat of their uh, spanking of Balmain Tigers in the uh, previous round when they won six. So the draw for the quarters was conducted immediately after these games and immediately after they concluded on Wednesday night. And the fixtures are as follows. On Tuesday, the 22nd of September, it will be an all-Victorian MPL clash as Hume City host Oakley Cannons while defending FFA Cup champions Adelaide United travel to face the reigning A-League champions Melbourne Victory. So uh, both of those should be uh, cracking games in Melbourne on the 22nd of September. That's the Tuesday night. And then the following Tuesday, the 29th of September, sees another all-Victorian matchup with Heidelberg United hosting A-League side Melbourne City. And the all-A-League game will be Perth hosting the Western Sydney Wanderers, although they're not quite hosting because that's going to be at a stately ground and not at Perth's NIB Stadium. I think they're expecting a, a fairly small crowd for that one. And, of course, it's it's uh, incredibly difficult for travelling fans from Sydney with a six-hour flight to Perth during the middle of the week. So uh, it should still be an, another good round of FFA Cup action. And, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed being at the uh, Metro Stars-Oakley game the other night. So, uh you know, hopefully for uh, for my sake and for, for those of us here in Adelaide, uh, Adelaide United can get a, a win away against the victory, although that will be very difficult, and then another home game. So there's uh, some more FFA Cup action going on here in little old Adelaide. This is Game Day. Okay, as promised last hour, it's time to talk about the Socceroos and they continued the uh, good start that they've gotten off to on their World Cup qualifying campaign with a routine 5-0 win over Bangladesh in Perth last week. Matthew Leckie, Nathan Burns and Aaron Moy all got on the score sheet and depending on who you are, who you ask, Tom Rogic scored once or twice. Um, there's some putting it down as an own goal, some putting it down as his. Uh, either way, Australia won 5-0 and... Um, and a very convincing against a very, very poor opponent, but um, not a whole lot learned from the match. A crowd of 19,495 in Perth, which was very, very healthy. Very good to see them out there for that. Uh, Australia were 4-0 up after 29 minutes, so less than half an hour and they're 4-0 up, and then it was uh, a case of just playing out the rest of the uh, rest of the 90 minutes and uh, getting out of there with no injuries, which, of course, Australia have had plenty of in recent weeks. They uh, The Socceroos face Tajikistan in Dushanbe tomorrow night. All right, you know what that music means. It's time for some NFL news. And, of course, the biggest NFL news this week was that Tom Brady's suspension imposed by the NFL was thrown out in court, meaning that the New England Patriots will have their quarterback on Friday when they open the season against the Pittsburgh Steelers. The NFL, as uh, we always expected, uh, appealing the decision. So uh, we'll see where that goes. Hopefully... um, 
I'd just love for it to go away. Hopefully, it's gone away and the uh, the appeal gets thrown out quickly as well and then, and then we can just move on. But I don't think that will be the case. I think it will linger for some time. But, of course, the decision is the latest black mark against uh, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, who's... I think he's really going to be under the spotlight this season, especially from team owners who who really effectively they, they employ him and they have the ability to fire him. After botching the Ray Rice investigation and then subsequent punishment, Goodell has taken a hard line on any players who who really uh, who really transgress at all. Uh, but the inability to make punishment stick appears to be pulling at the threads of his credibility. And time for some transaction news now. And of course, we start this little section with Jared Hayne. I'm sure you're either very sick or very uh, very sick of or very excited by the news. But either way, I won't dwell on it for too long. All there is to say really is how great an achievement it is from Hayne, who'd, who'd never really played the game at all before. Um, but, you know, now it's time for the real test uh, The real test to start. And we'll see uh, how, how good of a season he has. There's been a lot of running back movement in the last few days, and we start that with former Seattle Seahawks running back Christine Michael, who is now a member of the Dallas Cowboys. Michael was traded to the Cowboys for a conditional late-round pick and returns to his home state. He also played college ball at Texas A&M and now gets to run behind the best, the very best offensive line in football. Fellow running back Monty Ball has been waived by the Denver Broncos and has yet to be claimed by another team. A second-round pick in the 2013 draft, Ball has tumbled down the Broncos' depth chart in recent weeks. And Seattle safety Cam Chancellor is still holding out in the hopes of getting a new deal with his availability for Week 1 now coming into question. Chancellor is set to make over $5.5 million this season but wants a new contract that would go close to doubling that figure. But the uh, Seahawks' front office seems determined not to budge and set a dangerous precedent. Of course, if they give in to Chancellor, they'll have uh, virtually every player in their front office demanding a raise as well. Not that Chancellor doesn't deserve it. He's one of... He's probably the second best safety in football, although he's probably the second best safety on his own team as well behind Earl Thomas. But he is a phenomenal, phenomenal player. The uh, Seahawks open the season at home to their NFC West rival, St. Louis Rams. So they'll certainly need Chancellor for that one. That should be a very, very good game with the Rams. Looking like they're going to be on the up this year. Perhaps they found a quarterback in Nick Foles. Perhaps they haven't. We'll see. Um, One team who... Yeah, I, don't, I still don't think they've got a quarterback, but the probably their best one is uh, on the bench. Robert Griffin. Um, Robert Griffin III has not been cut by the Washington football team. Washington have chosen to keep Griffin on their roster despite coach Jay Gruden clearly not being a fan of him and him having a $16 million injury guaranteed to his name. Basically what that means, if he's injured and then out for the rest of this season, his $16.1 million salary for next season becomes fully guaranteed and the, uh, the Washington are very, very, very hard up against the cap and don't really have that sort of room given that they've been overplaying mediocre players, overpaying mediocre players for years now. Uh, the Patriots have cut Reggie Wayne shortly after signing the 36-year-old. It might be the end of the line for the veteran who ended his 14-year spell with the Indianapolis Colts this offseason. Uh, so we'll, it remains to be seen if he's going to get picked up. I'm not sure that he uh, will anytime soon. Who knows, he may keep working out and stay in shape and wait for uh, an injury or two to give him an opportunity with a contender. Uh, one player who is a Colt, though, is linebacker C.O. Moore, who was traded to Indy by the Oakland Raiders. 
Born in Liberia, the 25-year-old was a third-round pick in 2013, and the Raiders have also released quarterback Christian Ponder, who was a former Viking, was a first-round pick, I think 12th overall off the top of my head with them. So, um, yeah, it's not going well for Christian Ponder. Uh Goal! Goal! And we begin a European Championships qualifying roundup with England, whose 6-0 win over uh, eternal cannon fodder San Marino secured their place at next year's tournament to be held in France. Wayne Rooney equaled Bobby Charlton's all-time England goal-scoring record with his 49th international strike and could eclipse that tally on Wednesday morning our time when England faced Switzerland at Wembley. A win in that match will guarantee England top spot in Group E. In Group A, the Netherlands have lost back-to-back games without even scoring a goal. A 1-0 loss at home to Iceland was followed by a 3-0 defeat at the hands of Turkey, leaving the Dutch in a perilous position as they attempt to qualify for Euro 2016. The Netherlands can now only finish as high as third, which would mean a two-legged playoff, but to do that, they need Turkey to drop points in their final two matches. And, of course, the last time the Dutch missed a major tournament was the 2002 World Cup. In Group C, Spain beat Slovakia and leapfrogged them to take top spot in that section. The pair are level on 18 points with Ukraine only three behind. Those three sides are all assured of at least a playoff spot with uh, the other minnows in the group not performing too well. But who actually qualifies directly is still to be determined. And continuing our European qualifying roundup in Group B, Wales missed a chance to book their place in France after a goalless draw against a dogged Israel side. The result would have been enough to qualify had Belgium slipped up against Cyprus, but a late Eden Hazard goal saw that match end 1-0. Wales still topped the group, and a win in either of their final two matches will ensure qualification. Group D remains really, really tough to call with Germany top but not out of reach. Poland, the Republic of Ireland and Scotland are all pushing for a spot in the top three in that group. Poland and the Republic should have easy wins tomorrow morning, Australian time, meaning Scotland will need to get a result against the Germans to stay in touch. That's going to be a very tough game for them. In Group G, a win on Wednesday morning, our time for Austria over second place Sweden will mean they qualify. The Austrians currently top the group and are guaranteed at least a playoff berth with Russia, Montenegro and the Swedes fighting it out for second and third place. Italy are top of Group H with Norway and Croatia jostling for position as well. Those three sides are guaranteed to be in the top three in that group, much like Spain's group where uh, the Minnows aren't performing too well, but automatic qualification is up for grabs with only three points between the teams. Group I is still up in the air with Portugal, Denmark and Albania separated by just the solitary point. Portugal are top and play both Denmark and Albania in their final two matches, so destiny is in the hands of the Portuguese. You're listening to Unicast, and this is Game. All right, something we are going to be doing throughout the season is college football. And, of course, we haven't done it yet because it began in earnest this weekend, just gone. And there were plenty of statement wins, a couple of upsets, and even a Hail Mary as well. Love to see those. 
So in the statement win column, Alabama outmuscled Wisconsin 35 to 17. Notre Dame smashed, absolutely mauled Texas 38 to 3. And Texas A&M beat Arizona State 38 to 17. The upsets came as Temple beat in-state rivals Penn State 27 to 10. And ranked Stanford fell on the road to Northwestern 16 points to 6. That game was played at, I think, 11 a.m. local time, which was 8 o'clock West Coast time for Stanford. So certainly they're, uh, they're not a morning team by the look of it. And the Hail Mary occurred in BYU's dramatic win over Nebraska on the road. BYU lost their starting quarterback for the season earlier in the contest, only for the backup Tanner Mangum to haul a 42-yard Hail Mary pass into the end zone with Mitch Matthews bringing the catch in. So it was certainly a, a very, very, very good start to uh, college football on the weekend. And tomorrow, Ohio State are on the road in Blacksburg, in Blacksburg excuse me, to face Virginia Tech, who were the only team to defeat the Buckeyes last season. And that one was in Columbus. So uh, Virginia Tech at home against the Buckeyes should be a very, very good matchup. And that's probably the uh, the biggest test on, on Ohio State's schedule for the next little while. So if they can get through that, then they'll uh, they'll be laughing and looking towards that college football playoff. Um you know, they're, they're the first ever unanimous number one, uh, preseason number one. So they've certainly got uh, a, a lot of uh, talk to back up from a, a lot of experts as well. So we'll see how they go. But I think uh, Virginia, uh, Virginia Tech will certainly keep that one close. Game Day, Sports Radio on Unicast. One of the most public, ridiculous, and amateurish labor standoffs in recent memory in memory is taking place as I speak. Of course, I'm talking about Football Federation Australia and Professional Footballers Australia attempting to renegotiate the collective collective bargaining agreement for the Socceroos, A League players, and the Matildas. If you've been following what I'm what I've been saying recently on Twitter, you'll uh, certainly know which side of this debate I stand on. But for those of you who don't, let's get into a couple of the details. The previous CBA has expired. There is no agreement currently in place. Some of the sticking points for the PFA uh, in the current negotiations include revenue sharing among A-League players, a more than deserved pay rise for the Matildas, fair compensation for the reigning Asian champion Socceroos, the fiasco that currently engulfs the Brisbane Raw, and a huge amount of back pay owed to current and former A-League players. Instead, what has been put on the table by the FFA has been ridiculous. If we stick to the Socceroos aspect of the proposed CBA for the moment, the FFA wants the Socceroos to take a collective pay cut of $1.9 million over the next three years. $1.9 million. Now, many have said recently that the players are being too greedy and the PFA don't under, understand the realities of football in Australia at this time. But on what planet does winning the Asian Cup, on home soil, I might add, equate to nearly a $2 million pay cut? This ludicrous demand by the FFA makes the players' recent actions more than justifiable. In case you've missed it, Socceroos players decided to hit the FFA where it hurts, in their wallet. The squad in Perth for the Bangladesh game boycotted a, um, a couple of commercial events, and I should stress that it was only commercial events. They were there for signing s- sessions after training. These actions appear to have grabbed the FFA's attention, with the governing body releasing a statement within a matter of hours of the news breaking. Because all the statements from both sides in this public relations war are tinged with elements of propaganda. Of course, some are more than others. But the statement the FFA released was pure garbage. 
The FFA stressed how hurt school children would be by the decision, d- despite the fact that school hours were in session and it wasn't a school holiday, and described the commercial appearances, which are nothing more than keeping sponsors happy in a commercial exercise, as quote, community events, unquote. If the FFA can't handle having their money mess with, perhaps they should stop messing with the players' rights. David Gallup also said, quote, our competitor codes will see our PFA as having scored an own goal for the sport, unquote. Sorry, I must have missed when this became about other codes. I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of hearing people, especially within the FFA, comparing, comparing football to other codes. The contrived code wars crap needs to end and it needs to end now. It serves no purpose and it's nothing but childish buffoonery. Of course, this isn't the first time the FFA have said something rather silly. Just last month, the FFA issued a media release which detailed changes to the salary cap structure for the upcoming A-League season, despite no, be- no CBA being in place. Once again, there's no CBA, but the FFA are announcing changes to the CBA that doesn't exist. In its simplest sense, the FFA had decided what it wanted and publicly said those would be the rules moving forward. There was no negotiation on uh, on those subjects. And of course, there was nothing set in stone. Some of what was detailed in that press release was clearly good for the game and made a lot of logical sense, including veteran player allowances. But that's not the point. These elements still have to be negotiated, which they had not and still have not been. Not to mention the FFA determining what the minimum player salary would be, which is farcical. As we move back to events of the last week and the following decision and following the decision of the players to boycott commercial events, Socceroos coach Ange Postacoglu blasted the FFA and the PFA for their roles in the dispute. Postacoglu said both sides playing their dispute out in the middle of camp helped nobody and was a distraction for his team. In an entirely predictable and equally pathetic way, the following day Postacoglu retracted his comments via an FFA statement. The statement was perhaps the most obvious piece of propaganda we've seen since the negotiations began to break down. The FFA repeated their line following the commercial boycott, stressing the importance of, quote, the Socceroos brand, unquote, and, quote, their commercial partners, unquote. Of course, that's perfectly reasonable in a world where sporting romance is wilting like an unwatered flower in the summer heat. But to metaphorically hold a gun to Postacoglu's head for the sake of a PR boost is beyond the pale. Perhaps the actions of the FFA have actually backfired publicly. It's hard to continually sell the line that you're the reasonable one in these negotiations when you're acting in a draconian, authoritarian, and ultimately immature way. Using the coach of the national team in a game of, in a game of political one-upsmanship just isn't the way to move these negotiations forward, and the FFA collectively need to pull their heads in. You're listening to Game Day Radio. Sports Talk Radio on Unicast. Before the break, I was talking about one of the less desirable elements of football, that being the fact that so much of what goes on in negotiations these days seems to be played out via the realm of public relations. And of course, there's lots of spin and propaganda associated with that. Uh, But now we move on to a more heartwarming story from the world of football where European football clubs and their fans have responded to the headline-making refugee crisis in a really quite touching way. German Bundesliga champions Bayern Munich are donating 1 million euros to help the cause, as well as inviting refugee children to be mascots during their next home game on September 12th against Augsburg. Many other Bundesliga clubs, including Borussia Dortmund and FSV Mainz, have given away tickets to refugees, with the giveaways uh, set to continue in the coming weeks. 
Hanover 96 donated kits, balls, and other equipment to refugees in their city. And uh, Bayern Munich are also giving out... Uh, they're, they're hosting a training camp where they're offering lots of food, football lessons to kids, and uh, German language lessons for anyone who wants to attend as well. Supporters are getting on board too. Uh, Borussia Dortmund held aloft a refugees welcome banner recently, and many smaller imitations have popped up around the United Kingdom, especially at non-league grounds. There is a Twitter campaign ongoing to get bigger banners with messages of support into Premier League grounds as well when domestic action returns this weekend following the international break. Spanish giants Real Madrid have matched Bayern's donation, also giving a million euros to help refugees that are taken in by Spain and say they are considering doing more to help the youngest refugees in the future. FC Porto's president has an idea to help offer aid, and that's to have every Champions League club donate one euro from every ticket sold during the first two match days of the competition. That's, of course, so that every team has a home game and therefore gets to donate. Jorge Nuno Pinto da Costa is Porto's president, and his club have already committed to the idea, saying they will donate a euro from every ticket sold to their home match against Chelsea. listening to the game day radio podcast if you're listening on itunes please subscribe and leave a review game day radio is broadcast on monday afternoons from four to six on unicast the university of south australia's internet radio station thanks once again for listening